all, and welcome to the American Society for Parenteral and Enteral Nutrition, or ASPEN, podcast on safety and parental nutrition compounding. This podcast will be based on an article by the same name that was published in the Patient Safety Issue of Nutrition and Clinical Practice in December of 2023. We will not be discussing multi-chamber bag PN preparation as we just developed a practice tool for that that can be found on the Aspen PN Resources webpage. We are presenting this podcast to support the National Patient Safety Awareness Week, which is March 10th through the 16th of 2024. In honor of this week, Aspen is developing several podcasts and tools to support clinicians delivering safe nutrition support. My name is Peggy Gunter from Aspen, and today we are honored to have with us Dr. Andrew Mays. He is formerly from the Department of Pharmacy at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and is on faculty in the Department of Pharmacy Practice at the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy in Jackson, Mississippi. Dr. Mays is double board certified as a BCNSP and a CNSC, and he is also an Aspen Fellow. Dr. Mays has recently taken a position as a medical science liaison for parental nutrition with Fresenius Cabby. This podcast is brought to you by Aspen and is supported by Fresenius Cabby. Dr. Mays, welcome. Can you tell me why it is so important that parental nutrition or PN be compounded safely? Yeah, Peggy, thank you so much for having me today. Um, parental nutrition is a complex therapy that can cause significant patient harm when safe PN compounding recommendations are not followed. PN compatibility, stability, and sterility requirements can be complicated and also depend on product-specific data. When you add in product shortages and increased demand on the pharmacy workforce, it can lead to errors that impact patient care. We often speak about compatibility and stability. Well, compatibility is the uneventful physical and chemical coexistence of two or more components when combined. Calcium phosphate precipitation will be a common example of incompatibility. Stability is the maintenance of the chemical integrity of an active ingredient or physical integrity of a dosage form over time in a specific environment. So lipid injectable emulsion destabilization in a total nutrient admixture or TNA is a good example of instability. Thanks. Great explanations. Um, here's a two-part question for you. What are the educational and training needs for safe PN compounding? And what are the recent regulatory changes that impact PN compounding? Yeah, great question. There's long been a gap in nutrition-related education for all healthcare professionals. Aspen leadership has brought that to the forefront. Um, I know there have been presidential addresses that have addressed this as well. When it comes to pharmacists, the education is often very minimal in professional programs. I think there are multiple factors that lead to inconsistent nutrition-related training in pharmacy education. Pharmacists often learn on the job after graduation or PN-related education is even pushed to the postgraduate training portion of a pharmacist training. Lack of specific requirements within postgraduate residency programs in regards to nutrition support paired with institutional challenges can lead to gaps in PN and nutrition-related education for pharmacists. As far as uh, regulatory changes, Changes to regulations around compounded sterile preparations have caused institutions to ensure they meet these standards to meet compliance requirements by state boards of pharmacy. 
The challenging thing is that these standards look at essentially preparation of CSPs and sterility. There's no consideration of compatibility and stability, which is super important when looking at PN. I would say that safe provision of PN depends on an accurate and up-to-date compatibility and stability data for the products that you're using to compound your PN. And this could be a PN compounded with an automated compounding device or a multi-chamber bag PN product. And that data surrounding compatibility and stability is the key for safe delivery of PN, which kind of is outside of those regulatory measures that we have seen a lot of change with recently. Can you discuss PN admixture requirements? Yeah, the delivery of PN can be with a total nutrient admixture or a TNA, which was previously referred to as a three-in-one PN or a dextrose amino acid admixture with a Y-sided or co-infused lipid injectable emulsion, which was previously referred to as a two-in-one PN. The issue is each PN delivery method has different compatibility and stability concerns. Um, I previously mentioned ILE destabilization with the total nutrient admixture. This is impacted by the amount of divalent or trivalent cations within the total nutrient admixture. Changes in pH or stored conditions could also impact TNA stability, whereas you would not really have those concerns with a Y-sided lipid injectable emulsion with a dextrose amino acid admixture because that ILE is not added directly to that PN in a total nutrient admixture. Okay. Can you share with us some of the unique challenges for PN compounding for pediatric and neonatal populations? Neonatal and pediatric patients need very precise dosing of PN components and medications. And one problem is medication or component concentrations that are not conducive to the care for these very small patients. This leads to the potential for errors when additional dilution occurs. Each time a component is diluted to a different concentration, there is more risk involved. Also, there are often medications that come in different concentrations. You may have one PN component that has three or four different concentrations, one that is maybe better for pediatric or neonatal patients, and one that's a little bit better for adults. With all the medication shortages that we see recently in practice, this becomes even scarier, as oftentimes you can only order what is available. So maybe you can only order an adult concentration of a component, and then you would have to dilute that concentration to get a precise neonatal or pediatric dose. And that's really scary. If you have a concentration that's not familiar to the pharmacist, maybe you've used one concentration before, that also increases the risk for error. Due to the high amounts of calcium and phosphate needed for neonatal patients, the dextrose amino acid admixture with the co-infused ILE, that's the common method used to deliver PN in this patient populations. You can really reduce your risk for stability issues due to the high divalent cation content in these PNs, but you do still have to worry about ensuring appropriate hang times when you do co-infuse those ILEs. This delivery method works great for inpatient settings, but it can be challenging for pediatric patients on home PN. Um, when this delivery method is used at home, it requires more pumps, manipulations of infusion sets, and it can be very confusing for caregivers, especially when you look at PN filters. Now, this is something that should be at the forefront of safe PN delivery, 
PN filters. And so a recent Aspen position paper now recommends to use a 1.2 micron filter when administering all forms of PN. Previously, recommendations were to use different sizes based on that delivery method, but this new recommendation helps minimize filter expense, strain on staff, and it helps ease the process of PN filtering. And it definitely helps minimize confusion associated with PN filters, especially where the wrong size filter could be placed on that PN, leading to pump alarms, occlusions, and then further confusion. Okay. What are the issues of PN compounding and medication compatibility? Yeah, you know, PN and medication compatibility is an important topic. The addition of a medication to a PN or even Y-siding or co-infusing a medication with a PN can really lack reliable data. The challenge that I have for everyone is to look at the data that you use for PN and medication compatibility. If the data is just based upon visual inspection, when you look at those references, that means there's really not great evidence for the pharmacologic effectiveness of that added or co-infused medication when it's administered with PN or added to PN. I would say the co-infusion of medications with PN is, is more common in pediatric or neonatal populations due to limited vascular accesses those patients have. I would make sure that you reach out to manufacturers to see if they have any medication compatibility data available for their specific products and for those specific products that you use to compound PN. And just remember to think of if this is for with or without ILE in the delivery system. And is it for addition to a PN or co-infusion with a PN? That's all going to impact the decisions that you make and also what you really want to request from those manufacturers. Good. Can you address the important steps for optimal transition of care with PN? Yeah, transitions of care can lead to a multitude of errors. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. And I think that nutrition support practitioners on both sides of that patient can really help ensure safe, seamless transitions of care. There could be transcription errors from the inpatient side to the outpatient side. Potentially errors if you're changing from different PN delivery systems, and that can be compounded to a multi-chamber bag or the reverse. There could also be errors when an institution prescribes PN in one method. So I would say like adult PN per liter or percentages for macronutrients versus um, grams per day of amino acid and dextrose and lipids and milliequivalents and millimoles per day of electrolytes. And then that home infusion pharmacy may be used to prescribing PN in another way. And so then there's even more steps of somebody having to translate an order from the inpatient side to the outpatient side, and not just ensuring that that order is correct and transcribed appropriately. They have to convert everything as well. I would also say changes in PN delivery methods and levels of care can lead to confusion. Also surrounding compatibility and stability. Something that's overlooked is the products used inpatient compared to products used outpatient. Compatibility and stability can differ between those components. So if a hospital uses a certain amino acid solution, a certain ILE, and then the patient's transitioned to an outpatient infusion pharmacy and there to compound that PN, really you need to look at data to support 
compatibility and stability for those specific products used in each area. I would just recommend institutions develop a checklist to ensure home PM will continue without any hiccups. And there's a lot of things besides just compatibility and stability and compounding of PM that can go on these checklists. That could, it could be patient education, ensuring patient comprehension of that education, making sure that they're educated well with their, their family member or their caregiver at bedside with the pumps really anything associated with home PM. There's a lot of moving pieces and anything that we can do to help that transition of care, it just makes it easier on the patient. And that's what all this is about, right? Now you spoke a little bit about home PM. Are there any other considerations with PN compounding specifically for home PN? Yeah, I, home PN is a completely different animal, I would say, when compared to PN delivered in the hospital. In the hospital, we often take things for granted that we just have access to every day. And the hospital PM is compounded every day. Um, there's minimal storage before it's administered to the patient. So you have new labs every day. You can make changes every day. You will essentially order a PN. It will be compounded. And then it may go to the patient within a few hours. And then you have your, you know, your appropriate hang time. In the home setting, PN is compounded seven days at a time. So knowing how PN can be stored from a time and temperature aspect is super important. And this goes back to knowing compatibility and stability based upon the PN formula that's being prescribed in the home setting. And I would also mention too, to ensure education for patients and caregivers, as they will be adding a lot of additives to the PN that could be daily, just depends on, on what additive. And I think it's also important to let them know to ask about something if it seems different. If they're, if they're in a habit and they're used to doing something in their daily workflow with their home PN and they see something off, I think it's always good to let them know to, hey, reach out. If you have any questions, make sure you just clarify anything. You don't, don't want to do anything that makes you uncomfortable and let those patients have some responsibility in their care and give them some autonomy in their care as well. I think it's just always good to clarify and be safe and um, make patients and caregivers feel safe in, when they're delivering that PN at home. Okay, this is great. Thank you. This brings back lots of memories of managing PN patients, both in the hospital and the home. So a uh, really thank you. Um, thanks to all for listening to this podcast. Thanks so much to Dr. Mays for sharing his thoughts today with our Aspen audience. Our appreciation also goes out to Fresenius Cabby, for support of this podcast. Have a good day.